This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to helping you become a savvier marketing leader, no matter your level. In each episode, we will dive into a relevant topic or challenge that marketing leaders are currently facing. We will also give you practical tools and applications that will help you put what you learn into practice today. And if you missed anything, don't worry. We put worksheets on our website that summarize the key points. Now, let's get to it. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. With each new year comes a new set of expectations, and our desire is to take a broader look at the world around us as we have this quote-unquote fresh start. So to that point, we wanted to take a look at some macro trends that are happening in the world that we believe will influence how we do business and maybe said even clearer, change the way we do business in 2023. None of these are anything entirely new necessarily, but it's more in the way in which they're here to stay and or continuing to morph, and we just believe are worth keeping an eye on as we progress into this new year. We always do like to do these episodes with something that has a very practical application so that you can go do something with it. These aren't just New Year's resolutions that you hope you do something with, and to that van was at the gym this morning, the gym's already dead, so... I don't know about New Year's resolutions, but that one's already dead. Happens faster every year, I feel like. I know. But we're not necessarily looking to solve everything here. So I think that's a really important thing to really call out. Because if we did, this episode would be like five hours long. (laughs) Now, we might try to take some of these and kind of jump down into their own episodes so you can be on the lookout for that. But if you need help with how to solve for these, you know where to find us. Yes. Great plug for us. Um, And I think to that point also, there are many, many more trends going on out there even beyond each of these. So we pick the ones that we feel like are most relevant, compelling, et cetera, to the audience we have. So with that, we will get into four market trends that will influence how we do business in 2023. And the first one is hybrid work is here to stay. And I did something a little different this time. I did a lot of research and stats and things, which I don't always pull in, but I I did for these episodes because I I just found a lot of this stuff really interesting and it surprised me in a lot of ways. So in any case, I'll start with the first one here. So an Envoy survey in April of 2022 noted that 77% of companies have adopted a hybrid work environment. Wow. And I couldn't believe this because where my brain went to was all those businesses that require people to be quote unquote in the office. And I say that because we have things like working the line in a factory or food service or working at the grocery store. I just felt like my brain was flooded with all these businesses that I could not believe that that was the stat. But I think that this shows how fundamentally the world has changed on the heels of COVID-19 I mean, I remember how hard it used to be for us in the agency space to fight to work remotely in agency. And it was always met with this resistance of, oh, but being in person adds so much to the experience and the work itself is better. And we've built these cool environments where really we want you to stay and never go home. (laughs) They didn't say that, but that was the intent, right? (laughs) So I will say that on one hand, I do believe that being completely remote was swinging too far. And we've seen a lot of evidence with that in the mental health space, et cetera, et cetera. But I think on the other side of this, it's pretty tone deaf if there is the ability to work remotely that you don't have some sort of hybrid going on within your environment. And I'll go back to that agency example where locally I've seen agencies succeed here quite honestly in varying degrees. 
So on one hand, there are plenty of them that their leases have been up or some have even broken leases and moved to a smaller space. And there is actually a local agency that does architectural and engineering design type work of spaces. And when their business fell off from a retail perspective during COVID, they very smartly transitioned to transitioning workspaces. And so there are plenty of them locally. And I've seen this trend beyond Cincinnati, of course, but where they've made a good amount of money and a lot of these agencies have downsized. And so they still, to that point of being in person, have these big creative spaces, kind of a, okay, everyone can fit here when we need to get everyone together and or we can host clients for work sessions and those types of things. But the amount of desk space has gone down. So a lot of them have taken a portion of the amount of employees that are employed and then have, call it 20% of that number of desks in the space, mm-hmm. and you no longer have a committed space, you have just, you come in and you have what you would need to work at the desk that day. So that's been one way that it has been worked through. On the other hand, unfortunately, there are agencies that took tax breaks to build these really enormous spaces downtown, and they're struggling with how to get people into the office Because on the other hand, it's a requirement of their agreement that they're fueling the downtown economy by having people physically in the space. So they got breaks associated with that. And now they're trying to figure out what does that mean? How many people need to be in the office? How often? And so it's adding a layer of complexity, but it's also in some cases coming across tone deaf because the employees are like, well, we did our job remotely for how long during COVID? What do you mean I have to come back in X, Y, Z capacity. But in any case, and regardless of the physical limitations of the office space, companies that are not embracing the hybrid work environment are continuing to lose talent for ones that are being more flexible and are allowing for more of that work-life balance of work when you need to and as long as you're getting it all done, et cetera, et cetera. And that leads to our next point. But first, my lesson here is you better get on board and figure out how to work this into your company. Unless you're one of the on-site mandatory options that we mentioned above, It may be hard from a short-term perspective, and it may require rework, just like when we were at home during COVID, but it will pay off in the long term from keeping your employees happy and keeping those high performers that otherwise can go find something else somewhere else. Yeah, it's interesting because this is like news now, right? Oh, yeah. I was just sending something I saw come through on CNBC to you yesterday, right? Which was um, Bob Iger, who's now the CEO of Disney. Yep is calling everybody back into the office. Crazy. When you sent me that, I was like, what? Yeah. And yeah. I mean, now they have significant business challenges. Like I think Disney has basically their values plummeted. Like I, I think it was like 40%. I know. So, I mean, yes. Yeah. So if you have to make a dramatic and a drastic call in order to be able to rally the the wagons, then you have to make that call. But his rationale in it, if, when I went to the article, was like, it's in essence – that we can't be creative if we're not all together. Which is the old way of thinking. Which is the old way of thinking, right? And so my lesson on this one is you have to get out of the old way of doing things Mm -hmm. and you have to think about how to really make it work in a hybrid environment because gone are the days to say, well, if you want to be part of this, you just have to be here. Like you have to like physically be here. We were creative outside of our companies for two years in Mm -hmm. essence, right? So to say now that that world is gone, like into your point, that this new world of hybrid and work environments is like no longer valid. We're just going to bring everybody back and we're just going to erase everything that happened over the last two years. It's just, it is in actuality being toned down. And I think we probably 
we'll do an episode about how to spark creativity virtually because I think mm-hmm. that's a really important one. And, you know, also think about then in this context without defaulting back to everything that you did prior to COVID or which just seems to be kind of like the big differentiator to demarker here is think about, again, your way that you do vigilant leadership. Mm -hmm. What kind of ways can you start to really build in a new leadership style, a new culture that's going to embrace this hybrid work environment that's going to make these things work a little bit more seamlessly, a little bit more effortlessly, and still be able to pull in the strengths and the talent of these folks who may not be physically present in the office? Because I think you're going to have a a really hard argument to say is like, uh, well, you know, we're going to bring you back in because you weren't able to be creative or you weren't able to be (laughs) before. I'm like, that just doesn't make any sense. People are not going to be able to really acclimate to that in a meaningful way. And they're going to be wondering, well, what is going on here? So I think that's a really important thing to consider. And if you need some refresher on that, we do have those virtual consultancy modules. We have one on vigilant leadership. We have also one on culture that could help guide you there. Yep. Great plugs. All right, number two, and I'm going to hand this over to Anne. The great resignation is the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, so as April mentioned, this goes very much hand in hand with the previous point. And again, you know, COVID caused us to see things in a little bit of a new way. And we saw that this flexible work environment can work. Now, some people had gritted it out and they were just Mm -hmm. waiting in order to be back into the workplace again because that's where they feel more comfortable Um, But a lot of people have said, hey, yeah, this works for me. I like having this more fluid work-life balance. I like being able to kind of make my schedule my own. And as long as I'm a fully functioning, high-performing employee, why can't I continue to go do this, right? Mm -hmm. In, you know, to the previous point, maybe I'm more creative when I'm at home and I have more inspiring places versus being in an environment when I'm constantly feeling distracted by everything that's going on around me. So there's new realities that we really need to pay attention to that is really causing people to think about new ways that they're going to be able to manage their work-life balance that also makes it a competitive advantage for you or a competitive detractor for you, Mm -hmm. right? So if people are starting to think about new ways of being able to work, you need to think about how are you going to incorporate that within your business and within your culture, like we were talking about before. And when you're seeing that your workforce in total, as April was mentioning, is starting to maybe shrink a little bit, or you're not getting the quality of employees that you want to get, you need to really be thinking about, hey, are you setting up kind of a black and white choice that are making people think, well, I don't necessarily need to come here and go to the office every time if I can get a really good job, which, by the way, doesn't even have to be local anymore because you can work from home, right? So it could be a job in California if you're living in Cincinnati. That before COVID was like, who did that? It was a very rare case where people did that. Now it's becoming a very commonplace thing where you can basically work anywhere you want. So that's a whole lot more competition for business who are trying to get quality employees. And then when you add on that, hey, I might not want to come into the office every day, that becomes a differentiating factor for folks. I mean, we even have a client who just the other day, I think it's interesting how much companies are willing to bend over backward. So he was hired for a local Cincinnati company out of California. And as a result of that, they are changing their team work hours when he's on calls here in Cincinnati 
so that mm-hmm. he doesn't have to be on a call at 7 a.m. They're now moving to the afternoon. So, I mean, you can see how far we've flexed. It used to be, to your point, that it was to your detriment. It was like, yes, you can work there, but you have to hold to the schedule. You have yep, to do yep. whatever. Now we're seeing like, well, shoot, we hired him and he's in California. We don't want him to have to be on a 7 a.m. call. Let's move all of ours to 1 p.m. and then it's 10 and it's better for his time. So that's exactly the point. And you, know, you put another stat in here, April, which really exemplifies, I think, the pressure of this, where you said the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics states that 4 million people per month have left their jobs over the last 12 months. It is staggering. That is a <laughs> lot of people. Yes. Right? So if you don't think you're one of them, you better like really wake up because there is a lot that's at play here because when you start, again, trying to enforce your way of doing things, you start to really erode those relationships that you're needed in order to pull in that quality talent. So the lesson here, in order to put a really fine point on it, is that you really need to think about how you're recruiting and what is going to be the primary points for which you're going to recruit and how you're going to, as April just exemplified, put together a culture or really reinstate a culture that's going to be able to accommodate this hybrid work environment. And on the flip side, you're really going to have to embrace this gig economy. I mean, this is a real thing. And these people are highly talented, highly coveted people. You're going to have to figure out how to get work done in a different way. So outside the proverbial four walls, I used to do it where I was like, hey, we just do everything in-house. You might have to think about ways of doing it out of house so that you can accommodate the flexible nature of how people want to now work and live. Yeah, I think it's so interesting and so important. I mean, one of the things going back to the agency example that I'm seeing a ton of is there are so many director and VP of strategy job openings at all these various agencies in town. I have to think that if they would think about doing it a different way, like you've just been stating, we've been stating throughout the episode, they could figure out what might work. I mean, I remember even pre-COVID, there was a local agency here that asked if I wanted a job there, and I I didn't. It was a hard no. I just got out on my own. But then it quickly became, well, could we pay for a bucket of hours per week to have you come and consult on our behalf? And so that allowed me to run my own company but play a role within Mm -hmm. their organization. And so I think about that example. I mean, that was 2019, I think. And how there's these open jobs, but there's no flexibility in how you might think about how to fill them. And I think it comes from that fear of like, well, if they're not employed here, then how do I know? And you go down the path, right? Like that they're doing the work, that they can run the teams, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that was just one example that came into my mind. And and I think the lesson here for me to that point I just made, and Anne always is a big fan, so I'm stealing her verbiage here, but figuring out the currency of your people And then adjusting accordingly and knowing that it doesn't have to be the same for each person and actually it shouldn't be, but figure out what are those things that are really, really important to them and figure out a way to work within that. Of course, as long as it's not insane, right? But if for one person it's, I'd rather come into the office every day, but I've been asking for a raise of 2% for how long, right? Versus the person who's like, I've figured out this work from home thing. I'm real successful and I like doing my laundry throughout the day during my breaks, right? What are those different things and how can you capitalize on that? Yep, absolutely. 
Marketing Smarts is sponsored by scottmouts.com, S-C-O-T-T-M-A-U-T-Z.com. Scott Mouts is a popular keynote speaker and number one best-selling author whose latest book and talk, Leading from the Middle, helps middle managers dramatically increase their influence up, down, and across their organization. Want your company's middle managers and leaders equipped to foster a high-performing organization? Want them inspired to drive the change and transformation that's a challenging necessity moving forward? Then go to scottmouts.com to check out Leading from the Middle and all of Scott's keynotes, trainings, courses, and books. On a personal note, Marketing Smarts has worked with Scott as our business coach and found our own successful results, so we highly endorse him. All right, so number three, the looming recession, the other R word, is causing a re-examination of spend, Anne. Yeah, so this is where you really need to think about the climate again in which people are going to feel comfortable spending money. And we saw this a little bit too in COVID where initially, even within our own business, everybody wanted to do marketing and branding work because they weren't able to do anything else. But then as COVID continued to go on, we saw that people were starting to be like, now we started to protect for the bottom line. We're going to bring back all that extraneous spend. So this is going to be a little bit of a similar behavior, folks. And it doesn't matter if you're like a B2B or a B2C. It's going to infect you in some way. So now the good thing about when we were in the COVID timeframe, if we can call one piece a silver lining, was the fact that people started getting much more digitally inclined, right? So that is going to work to your advantage if you pay attention to how you can play in this whole digital world. Yes. Right? Because now if it was busy before, it's like, astronomically beyond busy now and you need to figure out how your brand is going to actually integrate in a way that's going to differentiate you from everybody else that's playing so as you think about either from a b2b context b2c context really think about your strategy there and think about how you want to show up in a way that's going to be able to really differentiate you and then be able to grow you And don't be surprised that if companies and and your consumers are starting to to pull back because what is happening here is a fear of overextending yourself as well as just really accommodating and and compensating for the the sheer rise of the cost of everything Mm -hmm. since COVID has started to, it's not gone, but it's starting to, we're starting to recover a little bit, at least from a... From the shutdown standpoint, right? So they're trying to compensate for the fact of all the lost wages, all the lost revenue, all the lost profits. And so we've seen increase of costs from everything from airfare to groceries to experience. I mean, it's just all is, is increasing. So here, your lesson that I want you guys to really think about as you're really contemplating the recession, and we don't know if it's going to be like the big one, like it was like 20 years ago, where if we're just kind of kind of like limp along, like we do in some of these typical markets, is think about how you are offering your products and services, right? So the way that we accommodate that um, is through a tiered approach, right? So we are able to then to meet our clients where they're at. And so if they are feeling a little bit more conservative, we can provide them a little bit more of a conservative approach. It still allows them to be able to go do something and it still gives them some flexibility that, okay, when things start to actually get a little bit better and you feel a little bit more comfortable, we can scale this up. We can go a little bit broader. We can go a little bit bigger, but it's not like the lights go out until the economy is better because no business can afford to do that. That's definitely something we learned through COVID. It also is the way that 
a lot of people then will do with their product offerings as well. P&G, you look at the P&G product offerings, there's several tiers of products. Now, that doesn't mean that you're able to churn out a new product in the moment, but you could change the way that you offer the products. You can change the way you bundle the products. You can change the way that you discount the products. You could do a lot of things in order to be able to manage and accommodate how people are now approaching the way that they shop. Again, the same thing with products. When you start to see the economy starting to shift, you can then start to shift back with it. So it's being able to be flexible. It's being able to kind of move and be able to accommodate the changes in the way that people are thinking and the way that they're addressing their common budgetary needs. And then also in a way that you are able to still continue to be soluble when you need to pitch for work. I mean, pitch your work in tiers. That's another great way of being able to accommodate and meet people where they're at. So that's my lesson for that one. Yeah. I mean, I think those are all really good points. And I'll start with my lesson and then contextualize a little bit. But I think acknowledging this in conversations to the point that Anne just made is what people often shy away from, but really what they should run toward. Because we're all living in the same reality, right? And so I think that if you can state to your customers or consumers or whatever, you know, look, this is typically what we would propose for you. However, given that we know that everyone is going through this anxiety of having a potential recession, we're re-looking at our business the same way you probably are, and therefore we're offering these tiers, those types of things. Because I think the more we can show that we're all in this together, I think the more, in an authentic way, it takes some of that stress and anxiety off, right? Mm -hmm. And I do think, you know, going back to the grocery example of just how costs have gone up. It's not something that people need to feel bad about. It's just the reality of the situation. I mean, our grocery bill has gone up 30% and we haven't changed anything that we purchase. Right. I remember, it'll stick in my head probably for the rest of my life, this visual of like, it basically was the breakdown of a sandwich and it went through like how much the bread's gone up, how much the mayonnaise has gone up, how much the lettuce has gone up. And it's fractional until you put it all together and you're like, oh, my sandwich now costs almost twice as much, right? And I'm buying it at the grocery store. And the last personal example I'll give because this blows my mind and makes me sick at the same time, but we built a house last year and luckily we bought the supplies and things before COVID hit. To build our current house again, it would cost 25 to 30% more just for the same house. Yeah. So like these are the realities that we are in. And so again, back to my lesson, the more that we can say, this is a situation for all of us. Let's figure out a way. The better off your business will be because you won't come across tone deaf or like your money grabbing or whatever. You'll come across like, look, we have to do what we can in the situation we're in. So let's join together and do it. Good point. All right. Number four. And Anne talked a little bit about this one, but we're going to focus on it directly here. Consumer shopping continues to skew more digital than ever. So she talked about being able to navigate the digital space and learning about it and all of that. And she said this is another place we can thank COVID, right? Because there were plenty of people... And I'm always a fan of talking, you know, early adopter, late adopter and everything in between. So if we think about COVID and we think about one of the things that we all had to buy, and I just, you know, we both talked about the grocery category in total. This is one where we saw a lot of change digitally. So one of the other stats I found, which I found interesting, was that 7% of commerce sales in the United States in 2022 were for online grocery. And there are similar trends globally as well. 
And so when I think about that early adopter or even mid-adopter, it's not uncommon to think about people embracing that, right? If you're someone who's very technically savvy and you like all the gadgets and things, right, you probably did say, oh, I'll try online grocery shopping. But on the other end of that, those people that drag their feet probably wouldn't have ever done it. However, when you think about the difference between, okay, I could get very ill from going into the store or I can shop online, it changes your perspective on that, right? So we saw an influx of folks that are online shopping and they probably never would have adopted it otherwise. On the other side of that, all those early adopters are looking for the next great thing. So one of the other things that we've seen is shopping via social media, right? So Mm -hmm. all those ads that pop up and different platforms, everything from Facebook to TikTok and all of the things that we've seen come around that, right? So those ads I said, product placements, influencers, promoting products, all of those things. The current stat is that 38% of shoppers purchase monthly through social media, and that's according to Forrester. So we are seeing it on both sides. People that wouldn't shop online or shopping online have become more comfortable with it. People that would always do it are doing it and want to do the latest, biggest, better ways. And also, if you look across the categories, it's interesting because there were certain things for me that pre-COVID I never would have purchased online. I wouldn't have bought furniture. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have bought shoes except for the running shoes I buy the same pair of every single time. Beauty products, you can forget it again unless it's something that I'm just replenishing. But you're seeing online sales and all of this grow because we literally couldn't buy those things any other way. Everything was shut down. And so what we would say here is take a look at where you are and where your business is. Opt in where it's appropriate. Take the time to decide. Well, first of all, if, but also then how it's appropriate And also know that this is a very, very crowded space. And so if you're going to do it, you have to do it from a brand-led perspective and make sure that you're connecting with your consumer appropriately. So that would be my lesson is do your homework. Don't shy away just because it seems hard and make sure that you're taking a hard look at the consumer and delivering the experience they would expect. And I think just to build on that, you also need to make sure that you have all the social proof needed for people to be able to validate you online. Oh, good point. Because it used to be the behavior of like, oh, I'm going to check this out online, then I'm going to go in the store and I'm going to confirm it so I can see it, feel it, touch it, all of those things that you need in order to confirm that you want to make that purchase. When we learned over... COVID is that when you didn't have access to that anymore, you kind of had to lean forward and you had to make a decision based Mm -hmm. on what information was available to you. And the people that won are the people that had good social proof. Yes. Now, social proof being whatever that consumer or that customer or client is going to look for in order to validate that you're a credible source, that you are going to do what you say you're going to do, that you deliver quality products and services. So you need to figure out what that is for your client, customer, consumer, and you need to make sure that you have those things in place that when they go a look in, when they find it, they're like, oh, yes, this checks the box for me. I feel comfortable with this company, with this business, with this brand, with this product. Now, the one thing we will say, which is no longer a nice to have, is you have to have a brand-led website that's been designed for SEO, all right? That you have to, have to, have to have in this day and age. If you don't, you are significantly reducing your ability to be able to have the social proof that anybody in this day and age needs in order to be able to confirm that you're the right choice for them. So 
if you haven't looked at that in a while, if you haven't paid attention to that in a while, if you think that it doesn't matter and that it's okay if you just have something there, you are significantly behind everybody else who's already figured out that this is the key thing and probably the most often the first thing that people are going to do in order to validate you. Yeah, that's a good point. You're right. I kind of left that one out, but make sure everything from on the back end to reviews and, and all of those types of things. Yes, yeah. exactly. And our final segment is where we highlight companies or brands that may or may not be using their marketing smarts. And the one I have chosen for today is Moo.com. For those of you that do not know what Moo.com is, because what it is doesn't sound like what it is, this is actually my very favorite spot to order business cards. And oh, Anne yeah. will make fun of me because they are super thick and a little glossy. They've got a really <laughs> nice feel to them. And we have had several folks comment, I will say, on yep. our business cards. But... I'm not actually here to talk about business cards today. So because I love Moo.com so much for business cards, I actually went there because we are in search of some new forthright people notebooks. And <gasps> since we have now hit the big leagues, as we like to say, <laughs> we can actually buy the ones and afford the ones that I have had my eye on for a while. The tricky part is I can't find exactly what I'm looking for. So I started on Moo.com. They do have a whole section on customized notebooks. And the only problem I had is that they didn't have any that had a spiral bound. And we all know how I like to turn my notebook pages. So mm -hmm. TBD on what I actually select and what the customization looks like. But the reason I wanted to call out their marketing smarts today is because I was on the site and I was logged in. So they knew it was me. But actually, two days later in the mail, I got this really nice printed handout, oh. which I thought actually was a nice touch from what normally happens, which is retargeting through social ads or to your email. And so I thought, oh, this is interesting. And of course, like I said, I love the feel of their printed stuff. So I grab it right away and I'm looking. And actually, they sent me one specifically on customized items because that was what I had been looking at on the site. And then on the inside, my code percentage off is a warm 30% off welcome back. So just oh. some like really nice little touches. So the whole inside is all of their customized items, including the notebooks that I was looking at. And then that personalized code to welcome me back because it's been a while. And then just the fact that I got it in the mail instead of in my email where I currently have thousands of unread promotions like this. I, just, I thought it was a really nice touch. So there you go. Good job, Moo.com. We're calling you out for your marketing smarts today. Yeah, it is so super smart too, because I think sometimes we get so tunnel vision in the one channel, like mm -hmm. you said, you're like, you're just gonna retarget for digital. But to think that, you know, especially on things like that, knowing their client and mm -hmm. their and their consumer and what their consumer is probably looking for, they like all those multiple touch points. So I think that's using like the ecosystem to their advantage in like, gold stars all around. Yep, 100%. And now they're back on top of my desk to go back to the notebook discussion. I so love it. There you go. Yeah, we're going to get our notebooks. We are getting notebooks. Exactly. All right, so just to recap, four market trends that will influence how we do business in 2023. And also just note, you may see these come back up and be episodes on their own. So be ready for that. Number one, hybrid work is here to stay. It's hard to make the case for in-person all the time when it worked otherwise through the pandemic, but a balance of both seems to be the best solution and where things are netting out for the companies doing the right thing. Number two, the great resignation is the gift that keeps on giving. Without an end in sight, it's important to find ways to ensure your employees' needs are met, but within reason to what the business requires. 
Number three, the looming recession is causing a re-examination of spend. We saw this coming, but now it's being anticipated with lower spend and more conservative efforts across the board. And finally, number four, consumer shopping continues to skew more digital than ever. Thanks to COVID, even people that wouldn't normally shop online did. And the early adopters are paving the way for more of it in new and different ways. And with that, we will say, go and exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. We can help you become a savvier marketer through coaching or training you and your team or doing the work on your behalf. Please also help us grow the podcast by rating and reviewing on your player of choice and sharing with at least one person. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.